going to start with just one simple passage. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6. Deuteronomy 1, 6, the New Living Translation. It just says this. It says, when we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God said to us, you have stayed at this mountain long enough. Now, without any context, I know some of you are already saying amen. My Lord, we've stayed at this mountain long enough. It has nothing to do. Now, when the Lord said you have stayed at this mountain long enough, he was not speaking to the 21st century about coronavirus or in lack, lack of in-person gatherings or stay at home. But I know that just that terminology, you might be like, yes, we have been at this mountain for too long, and I'm ready to go shopping, and I'm ready to go out to eat again. I'm ready to see my friends and go to church again. Soon enough. That's not what the Lord was talking about right here. This morning, I want to preach on that title. You have stayed at this mountain long enough. Would you pray with me? God, thank you, Lord, for every man, woman, and child who is viewing this or listening to this live or, or maybe at a later time. God, I pray that your hand would rest upon them. God, that your hand would rest upon me, Jesus, because, Lord, I need to be able to capably communicate what it is you've laid on my heart. So help me to do that, but help the people that are watching and listening to also be anointed to receive what it is you want to say. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would mightily impact a life today in the mighty name of Jesus. God always had plans for his people. Even when we see that the Israelites, they had been slaves in Egypt for 430 years, God sends them a deliverer named Moses who walks in, and God uses Moses to begin to send plagues on the nation of Egypt. And, and God immediately, though, before he takes his people to their promise, he had a land of promise. He had something that he always had intended to give them. But before he takes them there, he immediately identifies a problem. He identifies something that is going to plague the people of God, not plague Egypt, plague the people of God, but it wasn't from him, it was from their own hearts. And look what he says in Exodus 13, 17. It says, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route. The shortest place from point A to point B is a straight line. Let's go that way. No, God says, no, 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 no. Even though that's the shortest route to the promised land, God said, if the people are faced with a battle... They might change their minds and return to Egypt. What? God looks at his people and says, hey, I already got victory for you. I have a place of promise, and I'm going to take you there. But I cannot take the shortest point from A to B, the straight line, because you're not ready. Because I know that if there are some battles that you're just not ready to face. He says, if we go that route, I know that they're going to want to just go back to Egypt. Although, although victory had been determined, although God had that land of promise, it was not that he was not ready. It was that they were not ready. What a sad thing to imagine. How many people missed out on God's promised land because God was ready and they were not I don't want that to be said of us. You're watching right now or listening. I don't want God to ever say that to us where he says, you know what? I'm ready. I want to do prom I want to give you promises. I want to take you. I want to provide for you. I want to do great things for you. But 
I'm ready, you're not. I don't want that. I want to be ready. And guess what happens when someone's not ready? God identified it, and we're getting ready to see that that's exactly what took place, even though he didn't take them on that path. He took them a different path, and it still took place because of the human heart. Because what happens when someone is not ready to, uh, to, to walk into their place of promise? Do you know what happens? They do this. What does that mean? That means that they were right here, moving forward to a place of promise, but when someone's not ready to, to receive their promise, they look, and they turn, and they go back. They go back. They go back to what they know. They go back to what they're used to. They go back to what's normal for them. Why? Because obtaining the promise in the future that God has for you always is going to be more challenging than where you came from and what is comfortable. God will never call you out of something and into something else if he doesn't have something better for you. But know this. That if you're on a journey and he's calling you out of something and into something else, there are going to be battles along the way. In Egypt, the Israelites, they didn't have to worry about battles. Egypt would fight those battles for them. They didn't have to worry about food. That was Egypt's responsibility. Why? Because they were slaves. They were in bondage. And so, guess what? That was Egypt. Egypt fought the battle. Egypt had to, had to protect their borders. Egypt had to provide the food. There weren't, there weren't really battles with enemies in Egypt. But when you leave you, what you know to pursue your promise, there are always going to be enemies, mountains, setbacks, and challenges. Think about it. Growing up, when I grew up, I didn't, when I was 9, 10, 11, 12, I didn't go, Mom, Dad, how are we doing on finances this month? I didn't go, are we gonna, do we got enough to pay the bills? Are you guys, you, you guys got that new car? Are we going to be able to make that payment? What was your interest rate on that? I mean, can you imagine this? I, I don't know. My, my daughter, she's pretty smart. She's, she's 11. She might, be, she might be smart enough to start answering, asking those questions soon. I don't know. But when I was growing up, I didn't, I didn't ask that. I wasn't smart enough. Why? It wasn't even smart. It was maturity. It was maturity. To me, I'm just like, hey, dad got a new car. Mom got a new car. We got a new house. Uh, you know, let's go out to eat. My kids think that I can just take them out to eat every time we leave the house. I can just take them out to eat. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know. It's just, it's just like money. It's like a, I'm a clown. I can just pull money and it keeps coming. just keeps coming. keeps coming. They don't understand that my pocket stops right here, that, that I can't keep pulling. Yeah, here, go ahead. You pull it. Who else wants some? No, I didn't understand. I didn't worry about that. That was my mom and dad's responsibility. When I went to the grocery store, if they'd let me, man, I'd just throw it all in there. Yeah, let's go. Well, eventually, I was immature. Eventually, I got more mature. Eventually, you leave and you, and you assume that you're going to, you know, live in the house and drive the cars that your parents drove in your first year of marriage. And then all of a sudden, you get married and you're like, let's do the one-bedroom apartment. And um, can we make it on one call? Maybe I don't need a call. You know, I mean, you start, you start to, how, how little can we eat this month? I mean, you start to try and figure out life because maturity starts to set in. And so 
Eventually, I started being more aware of responsibilities. Well, for the Israelites, they, they lacked spiritual maturity. They, they didn't have to worry about their own provision. They liked that, hey, Egypt, take care of, they, they take care of everything. Even though we're slaves, even though we're in bondage, it's nice. Some, sometimes sin provides a feeling of security. Yeah, but you're in bondage. Yeah, but every day to wake up and have to smoke that, drink that, live that way, watch that, do that, partake in that. Yeah, but it's what I've gotten used to. It doesn't matter that there was no freedom there. It doesn't matter that they were living short of God's promise for their life. So even though God was calling them from bondage to a place of promise, he knew it was going to be a journey. He clearly stated, though, that, hey, if I know that they're, along the way, these people are going to want to go back to Egypt. He knew it. They prefer, get this, they preferred the security of slavery rather than the risk of faith. Do you know there's risk in faith because you're stepping out into an unknown place, so there's a risk factor there. There's not much risk by saying, I'm content living in bondage because every day I do the same thing and I know what to expect. Yeah, but do you, how can you live that way? Yeah, but at least I know. And this is exactly what happened over and over again for Egypt, for Israel. Exodus 14.10, Pharaoh approached the people of Israel, looked up. They, they, he, they had left now. They come up to the Red Sea, and they're panicking, and they cry out to God. And what did they say? They didn't say, wow, God's got a promise. He's going to take care of us. We're fixing to win our first battle. They panicked and said, Moses, why'd you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Interesting. Isn't that interesting that the first battle they face out of bondage they assume God already lost why'd you bring us out here to die weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt what have you done to us why'd you, why did you make us leave Egypt now it's Moses' fault because oftentimes on a journey of faith when we turn against someone it's often our spiritual leadership didn't you tell, they wouldn't tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt. I mean, if I was Moses, I would have given my resignation that day. I'd have been like, are you for real right now? I walked with you through 10 plagues. We've only gotten, I mean, literally, this is like, we just started moving. I just checked my GPS. We got thousands of miles yet. We just started out in this journey, and y'all are already stabbing me in the back. I'm done. Moses, you would bring us out here to die. We told you, weren't there enough graves? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. They literally said this. Leave us be. We told you to leave us alone because we were content. You were content to wake up every single day and have people tell you when to work, where to go, what to wear. They could beat you, set you down, separate you from family, kill you. You were content with that. We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. It's better to be in bondage and know what to expect than to go on a journey of faith and have to trust in God. 
God delivers his people that day. And Moses says, stand still, watch the salvation of God. He had faith in God. And sometimes there's a di- one person can make a difference when they have faith, when they speak faith, when they speak life. And so they walk through on dry ground and God delivers his people. And they get to the other side of the river. And what happens they have a great, great worship service. Miriam, the Miriam, the prophet Aaron's sister, she takes a tambourine. The women get out, and they're dancing and singing. And, they're, and like I've said this to you so many times, my dad always said, right, right song, wrong side of the river. Man, oh, man, they're, you brought us out here to die. Leave us alone. Oh, wow, look what God did. I love Jesus so much. God is so good. He's so awesome. Do we see ourselves in this story sometimes? Why is God letting this happen? Why did my finances? Why my marriage? Why is this? Why is my health? God, where are you at? God delivers. God provides. Oh, my God. He's so good. Oh, I love Jesus. It's so good to be a child of the God, of the God of heaven and earth. They were just complaining about the Red Sea. Look how fast it changed. But look at the, the moment the worship service ends. Verse 22. Moses led the people out of Israel from the Red Sea. They moved out of the, the desert of Shur, and they, they traveled in the desert three days. They didn't have any water. Three days. Three days later. They came to the oasis of Marah, Mar- and the water was too bitter, so they called the place Marah, which means bitter. And the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink now, Moses? Can you imagine getting voted on to lead these people? I mean, my Lord. Why well, leave us alone? We want to be, but you bring us out here to die. Oh, God's so good, Moses. Oh, thank God. You're so good. What in the world? We got no water. It's only bitter water. Why did you bring us out here? One of the telltale signs. Hear me right now. One of the telltale signs. I, 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 I want to possess my promise. I don't want to stay at the mountain. I want to go where God wants me to go. How do I know if I'm ready? I'm getting ready to, you, everybody listening? You listening? I'm getting ready to give you some good, good advice based on scripture. One of the telltale signs that someone is not ready to possess their promise is a total lack of consistency. Consistency, thou art a jewel. Living from extreme high to extreme low. God is good. Why are you doing this to me? Thank you, Jesus, for Moses. Why did you bring us out here to die? One of the keys. Oh, I just got out of an hour worth of prayer, man. I was fasting three days, and I prayed an hour. Uh, later, oh, I'm, I'm swearing and drinking, and le- I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. Well, what happens? When's the last time you prayed? Well, that time I prayed an hour and a half, and I fasted three days. That was seven weeks ago. Yeah, but that was a good one. What? Give me the person that prays 15 minutes a day, every day, fasts one day a week, every week, reads a minimum of a chapter of a day, every single day, of the person that goes on a 40-day fast once every three years. Exodus 16 says the whole community of Israel went out from, uh, from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day. There too the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. 
There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread as we wanted. You know, because when we go on a journey of faith, sometimes we dictate success based on how much stuff we have. How big's the house? How nice is the car? What does the retirement look like? That's indicative of how much God is blessing me. God's blessings are not always going to be just on temporal things. They were like, hey, in Egypt, we ate good meat. We had the best of the best. But God was saying, are you kidding me? You haven't, you can't even imagine what I've gone to prepare for. I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard what I've gone to prepare for you. I got a land of promise where the grapes are so big that takes multiple people to carry them. A land flowing of milk and honey. That was for them. Guess what? We got the same thing coming. He says, in the New Testament, I hasn't seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man what he's gone to prepare for us. And so, but yet we get so focused on the journey instead of the destination. That's good right there. Don't get so focused on just the journey that you forget the destination. And he says, oh, just take us back in Egypt. And so I'll say another thing right here. I'm giving you all kinds of tweets, social media, feel free. I usually say, keep the phone out of church. Pull it out and tweet away and, 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 and Facebook post. But complaining is really just a result of faithlessness. It's all complaining is. <laughs> yeah, but the... The weather's bad and coronavirus, I can't see my friend. The church, the group stink. We can't get online and this and that. And then I lost my job and this. And I'm not saying none of those things. I, I, there are very real concerns. But what happens is as we complain, our spirit changes. Because we speak things into existence. We speak things into existence. Complaining is just saying, I am agitated, God, with the path that you have me on, and I would rather be on a different path. If we allow complaining to overtake us, two things are absolutely certain. It will impact the unity of the body, and you will never, you will never, hear me, never, you will never reach the pinnacle of your promise. With complaining. Remember, no matter who your complaints are about, I know, yeah, but my boss, my job, my spouse, my kids, my, my, my whatever, society, the governor, the president, whoever, it does not matter. No matter who your complaints are about, your complaints are always centered on God. I know some of you totally disagree with that. You say, I don't, I don't get it. I don't buy that. But in the midst of all this, that's the, I believe, truly, no human being, no human being in their own power, I don't care how many, I took leadership 101, I have a master's degree, I have a doctorate in organizational and business uh, leadership. Moses, he could have, he was trained, he was trained, but there is no way that no, no human being could have led those Israelites based on their own power. That's why at one point Moses says, this is more than I can bear, I can't even handle, the, I can't even handle these people. This is the only thing that kept Moses going right here in Exodus 16. In the morning, he says, you're going to see the glory of God. He has heard your complaints, which are against him and not us. Moses had an understanding that when the people of God, when people were complaining, the complaints were not necessarily about he and Aaron. He had a full understanding. When you complain, you are complaining about God. 
Did you see anybody say, I can't stand God, God did this, God that? It was always, Moses, you brought us out. You convinced us. You made us do this. I told you to leave us alone. But he understood your complaints, when you complain, are actually about God. They are not about me. Moses added, the Lord will give you meat in the evening. And he says, and he goes on, he says, yes, your complaints, again, at the end of verse 9, 8. Your complaints are against the Lord, not us. Two times he repeats himself. He had that understanding. That, I believe, was one of the single biggest reasons he was able to keep serving and leading the people in the midst of all of that because no human being would be able to put up with all that. But he knew that God called me to lead this journey, and when these people are complaining, they're complaining against God and not me. You might think, no, I just complain about the teacher, the, the situation, the ministry, the boss, the person. But complaints are always an indirect assault on what God is allowing in your life. This is how serious God takes complaining. Numbers 11.1, 1. soon the people began to complain about their hardship. The Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them. He sent a fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people on the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help. When he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. I believe, I still believe that God's anger is aroused when we complain. Thank God. Anybody ever complained before? Preacher's supposed to preach messages that he's mastered. Sorry if that's what you're looking for. I'm not that guy. I still complain once in a while, and it's not the will of God. But you know what? I still believe that God hates complaining. Do you like complaining? I mean, do you like when you, when you take your kids and they're like, I don't want this. My burger has cheese on it, and I didn't want cheese on my burger. I just wanted a hamburger. And the next one says, I, I have ketchup on my burger, and I didn't want ketchup, but I wanted cheese. And they didn't put the, then just put the cheese from his burger on your burger and call it a day. I need counseling. Thank you. I'm listening. I got kids. Do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy that process when someone complains? You clean the house and your spouse comes home and says, did you even wipe this table down? Oh, my Lord. Are you kidding me right now? Are you serious? Are you for real? No, we, we don't like complaining and we're made in God's image. He hates complaining. Thank the Lord he doesn't devour us with fire anymore. But still, it's an indirect, it's a direct attack on him and his plans, and it's a direct attack on the unity of the people. It was finally time for them to go possess their promise, and Moses sent out 12 spies to go out and see the land. And instead of saying, hey, he, they, the, the victory was already theirs, he just said, go scope out the land. Ten people come back, only two believe, ten say, we can't do it. Life's terrible, the men are huge, the cities are walled, it's, it's, it's unreal. They were afraid of the giants and the walls, and look what happens next. Numbers 14, the whole community started weeping aloud because 10 people, two are going, let's go right now. I will go right now. Give me a group of people. We will go take the city. And they're the only ones from that generation that see the, the promised land. The other 10 get the whole nation. Why? Because what comes naturally to us, it's not faith. It's complaining. Why wasn't that more split down the middle? Why wasn't it like, well, half the camp wanted to go and half the camp? No, because it's much easier to go with the naysayers than it is to go with the person of faith. And so the whole community's weeping. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against who? Moses. <laughs> Moses had to go, Lord, again, 
Oh, thank you for these people. But they're complaining against you again, not me. Why'd you, if we would have just died in Egypt, how come every time something doesn't go the way you want, you want to go backward? Take me back, take me back, I want to go back right now. Oh, we could have died in Egypt. Then they, then they plotted against themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Could you imagine the Egyptian faces when the nation of Israel comes back and, and returns and says, Hey guys, we're back. We're voluntarily checking ourselves back into bondage because we got sick of the journey of faith where God was testing us and we didn't know what the next step always was. How often do we do the same thing? Thank God that I'm, I'm a pastor, but I have a pastor. Thank God for spiritual leaders that have enough uh, uh, in tune with God that when we feel like stopping or going backwards, they say, it's not the time to go back to bondage. God still has a promise for you. Let's keep going on the journey. And, and could you imagine how often this happens in our life? Something happens. We say, well, I'm just, you know, I used to be in drugs. I'm going back to the drugs. I used to be addicted to this. I'm going back to that. I used to sin like this, and I'm going backward. Why? Because I just, this, this takes too much faith. Yeah, but you want to go check yourself back into a place where they told you what to do, when to rise, what to eat. They separated you from your family. They killed members of your family. That's where you want to go. Yes, I do, because at least I know what to expect. Notice the two key attitudes that keep people from their place of promise. Number one, it's complaining. Number two, it's wanting to go backward the moment you're challenged. You want to be all that God has called you to be? Stop complaining and stop looking backward. That's why the New Testament says you're not fit if, you, if you're trying to take the plow while looking backwards. That's why Jesus at one point just says, remember Lot's wife. That's all he says because they knew the story that she was called out of that Sodom and Gomorrah when it's burning down to the, to the ground. And she looked backward because her heart was still there. These complaints and the attitude of wanting to go back is what kept that entire generation out of the promised land. Deuteronomy 1, 2, and 3 says normally it takes only 11 days in, uh, to go, but 40 years later. Could you imagine that? I mean, could you? Uh, sometimes your trip takes a little bit longer. You say, man, we're an hour behind. We should have been there by now. Could you imagine saying, oh, it's going to take about 11 days and we're going to be at our place of promise. And 40 years later, you're still not there? What in the world? But 40 years later, Moses addressed the people, telling them everything the Lord had said. And, it be, and nobody from that generation except Joshua and Caleb made it. Why? Because we cannot move forward and look back at the same time. You might be able to do it for a little while. Look at me. You see a problem coming? Yep. There's disaster. If you think that you can move forward while still looking back, oh, but I'm trying to hold on to some of the things that I, I should have released already. But I do want to stay in this journey of faith, so I'm going I'm to keep moving forward while I'm looking back. You will stumble and fall. You cannot. Leaving those things which are behind, forgetting them. That's what instability looks like. One day, singing songs of worship. Oh, God. <laughs> 
Oh, God. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm the dancing. I'm, I'm jumping. I'm shouting. Oh, when I'm in church, when I'm at conferences, woo! I'm jumping up and down. Tears are streaming down my cheeks. And then midweek, I'm going, I don't know if I can make it. I want to go back. I'm sick of this. I'm done. I just don't think I can do it. God has a place of promise for each and every one of you, but there are going to be mountains, Red Seas, walls of Jericho, Jordan Rivers, giants, lean times, enemies, bitter water, and it's going to test you, and it's going to test you, and it's going to try you, but eventually there's a generation that rises up, a people, a church who gets so sick and tired of wandering and complaining and always talking about quitting and going backward, and they, they make a decision that says, you know what, I'm, I, I, that's foolish. Ain't no way I'm going back to bondage. I'm going to walk with the Lord because I know that even though I don't know the next step, I don't know the path, I know that when God calls me to a place, he can turn the bitter water sweet. When God calls me to a place, he can send quail that just come from the sky. When God calls me to a place, he can bring water from a rock. When God calls me to a place, he can part water and make it dry ground. When God calls me to a place, I can worship and watch walled cities fall to the ground. When God calls me to a place, I can break pottery and my enemies begin to fight one another and they get defeated just because I obeyed what God told me to say and do. When we walk with that, we say, God, I know that it's time to leave the mountain and go play to the place of promise. Why? Because you've stayed at this mountain long enough, Deuteronomy 1. It's time to break camp and move on. Go to the hill country. Look at verse 8. He says, look, I am giving all this land to you. Go in. Occupy it. It's the land the Lord swore to your ancestors. This wasn't some new thing. He said, I've been longing to give this to some people. I've been wanting to. You think God doesn't want to do signs, wonders, and miracles today? He's just waiting for a people who will walk away away from the mountain and say, I'm ready to possess my promise. I'm going to walk away from everything that's normal and what I'm used to, and I'm going. God says, I gave this land. I already gave it to Abraham. I gave it to Isaac. I gave it to Jacob and to all their descendants. But it says, notice that the opening passage says, you stayed at the mountain long enough. But look what God says next in verse 32. So Moses tells the people, you got to be careful to obey all the commands. And he says in verse 33, stay on the path that the Lord has commanded you to follow. Where will you stay? Will you stay at the mountain and wander? Or will you stay on the path to which God has called you to walk? One is shrouded in complaining. Extreme highs to extreme lows to extreme highs to extreme lows. Worshiping only based on circumstance. Worshiping only based on how you feel that day. Worshiping only based on what your physical report is. What job you have. How much money you're making. It's worshiping only when things are going well. And it's threatening to go back every single time something doesn't go well. The other path is filled with uncertainty, faith, and yes, even frustration at times. It doesn't matter who you face or what you come against, though. Look what God says about the enemies that they faced. Deuteronomy 7.1 says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're about to enter and occupy, he's going to clear away other nations. And it says the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Parasites, Hivites, Jebusites. These are seven nations. What does it say? 
seven nations that are greater and more numerous than you. Guess what? You're outnumbered. You're the underdog. In Israel, the, the, all those negative people, they walked in and said, they got more people than me. They're stronger than us. They got walled cities. Guess what? They were not wrong about anything they said. Deuteronomy 9, listen, O Israel, today you're about to cross the Jordan River. You're about to, to go into the land belonging to nations. What does it say? Much greater, more powerful than you are. You're the underdog. You're going to come up, when you're on a journey of faith, you're going to come up against things that you have no answers to. You don't have the finances for, the wisdom for, the direction. You're going to feel like a, a fish out of water, if I could say that. You are going to be lost. You're Why? Because the only thing you will be able to do is to drop to your knees and say, my God, you called me on this path. My Lord, you called me to walk this way, and I'm sitting here, and I'm lost. I don't know what to do, God. I don't know what to do. You, and sometimes right before you're even done praying, you look up and the quail are coming down. You look up and the man has fallen from heaven. You know, could you imagine as you were praying going, God, what do you do? And you're weeping and you open your eyes and there's manna and there's provision all over the place because that's the way God does it. When you drop to your knees, you, he starts to make a way. He starts to provide. He starts to show the path. And, and but, the, but that's the thing, though, is that takes faith. That takes you're going to be discouraged at times. Sometimes you're going to come up against enemies that got big, tall cities with huge people and issues in your life that seem insurmountable. And that's where people say, I can't do this. I'm not going to church no more. I'm going back to what I know. But if you will just say, no, God said to move forward. It doesn't matter if the Red Sea is there, the Jordan River is there, the walls of Jericho are there. I have a history recorded that God has always provided for his people when he he says to move, the giants fall. When he says to move, the walled cities fall. When he says to move, the lion's mouths are shut. When he says to move, the fiery furnace, he walks in there and he protects us in it. That's the God that I serve. I'm not going to walk out. I'm going to come up against circumstances, even in modern day life. I don't have answers to. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. But when we say, it doesn't matter. My enemies are greater and stronger than I am. But this, here, hear me. This was never about me versus my enemies. This was about my God versus their God. And when you look at it that way, I always win. I never lose because my God never fails me. Too often we start looking around and saying, but look at the bottom line of the pocketbook and the relationship and I've been struggling this long and I've tripped over this so many times and I've been involved with substance abuse for this many years and I've been stuck at this mountain long and, and I've been war going in circles for 40 years but I'm telling somebody right now as I begin to close this message God is speaking to you and he says Saying, you have stayed at this mountain long enough. And if you will be willing to walk away from the mountain, I will take you on a path that is not going to be perfect. It's going to be shrouded in mystery and then frustration at times. But if you will trust me, there is no weapon formed against you that will prosper. Uh, because you will be more than a conqueror. Why? Because it's never been about you. It's been about me. It's been about my provision. It's been about my response. 
Why? Because Deuteronomy 9 says, but recognize today that the Lord your God, he's the one who will cross over ahead of you like a devouring fire to destroy them. He will subdue them and you will quickly conquer them and drive them out just as the Lord promised. Why? Because it's his battle, not mine. When you walk in faith, it's his battle, not yours. You simply have to obey. You simply have to move forward. And I invite you right now to begin to stand to your feet in your homes if you can. When you are on a journey to the place that God has called you, it's not a matter of what you are strong enough to handle. Too often we get consumed with that. Oh, Lord, is more than I can bear. Oh, Lord, I'm not strong enough for this. Oh, Lord, he never asked you to be strong enough for this. He's the one who's strong enough for this. If you're feeling overwhelmed, it's because you're carrying things that you were never meant to carry. It's because you're carrying things that you were never meant to carry. It is a matter of trusting your God and not yourself. These nations were bigger and stronger than the children of God. There was no argument about that. It was a fact. And many of the problems and circumstances that you will come up against are also, they are going to be bigger and they're going to be stronger than you are. But will you say, I'm done. I'm going back. I'm going back to what I know. I'm willingly placing myself back into bondage. I'm going to go ahead and let them do whatever they want to me and my family. What are you going to say? I'm not looking back. I'm moving ahead. I'm here to declare to you my past is over in you. All things I made new. Is that going to be you? Is that going to be you? Where are you at? Are you wandering around the mountain right now? Are you going to go possess the promise? Because God is ready, and you don't want to go another day with saying, man, oh, man, I just wonder what it would be like to be free. He's ready. Are you? Are you ready? Are you ready? Is it, it's time to stop complaining and start speaking life. Start saying, I'm gonna, God, I'm going to walk where you want me to walk. I'm going to go possess the promise today. Jesus, I pray over every man, woman, and child right now. If that's you, just begin to raise your voice to God. Just begin to, I know right now, you already got enemies in your mind. Oh, but, but it's been so long, but you struggle against that so, so much. You've fallen so many times. And you say in the name of Jesus, they, this ain't about me. This is about my response and obedience to a God. I'm not overwhelmed anymore because I'm putting this on his shoulders. This was never about what I can handle. This is about what my God can handle. And so you better believe I'm getting ready to walk in faith. I'm getting ready to move forward. I'm sick of staying. God told me I've stayed at this mountain long enough. It's time to stop complaining, stop doubting, and go possess the promise today. Cause the God I serve 